Once again, we ask ourselves, what is dark matter? And obviously, there have been a lot of ideas proposed to explain it. And some of the proposed particles should actually create one of the implications is a whole dark universe to go along with it. So there would be dark photons that would be communicating the particle sort of in the same way that the photon works with the electromagnetic spectrum. So are these things real? And could we find them? And so my guest today is Nicholas Hunt Smith. He's a third year PhD student at the University of Adelaide. And in a recent peer reviewed journal, he and his co authors proposed that there is indeed a dark photon. And in fact, this could help explain a anomaly that he and his researchers found as they were examining this really interesting interaction between protons and firing electrons. And they were trying to rule out this possibility and in doing so, maybe found it. So it's a fascinating interview, both about like, what would a dark photon look like in a dark matter universe and how would it interact with the regular universe, but then we sort of go into the field of particle physics today as the, you know, the the standard model of particle physics has so beautifully answered all of the observations so far and all of the bits and pieces have all come into place. And it's really hard to find new places to explore what are the strategies to move forward in particle physics. So enjoy this interview with Nicholas Hunt Smith. What is a dark photon? <laughs> Great question. Um, so uh, a dark photon, as, as we know, the, the vast majority of the matter in the universe is made of dark matter. Um, around 85% of the matter content, in fact. As your audience is no doubt aware, there's um, lots of evidence for the existence of dark matter from the rotation of um, galaxies down to uh, the way light bends around distant galaxies, gravitational lensing. Um, this all points to uh, gravitational effects of dark matter that we know is out there, but um, so far has managed to completely elude all our best efforts of, of finding. Um, so one possibility that's um, been around for about as long as we've known dark matter could, uh, does exist, is the idea of a dark photon. So um, uh, in, yeah, we're, we're very familiar with the ordinary photon in, in the standard model of particle physics, um, the, uh, the photon is the carrier of the electromagnetic force. Um, and so just quickly, the standard model is the leading theory in particle physics. It's um, very much uh, been able to predict and explain a lot of the observations that we've um, seen so far, barring a few anomalies like dark matter. Yeah, so an, a natural extension of the standard model might be to say, okay, what if there's a dark matter version of the photon that we're, we're aware of? Um, and it might carry some a dark force, it'd be a force carrier for some, uh, uh, some, some dark force in the same way as the standard model photon carries the electromagnetic force. Um, and if that were true, then it would open up a whole world of possibilities because theoretically it would interact with other dark matter. Um, and in that way, the dark photon kind of acts as a portal that opens up um, the, 
dark matter world from our kind of standard model, ordinary world, um, and the dark matter could kind of be a go-between between those two worlds. Um, it's there's a little technicality in there, which is that the dark photon isn't exactly the same as a photon, at least the one that we're going to talk about today, because it has a mass, um, and the ordinary photon is massless. Um, but I think everyone just loves the name dark photon. It sounds too cool to get rid of. <laughs> um, so we're sticking with that one. And is that like... You know, when we imagine a, a photon, we're imagining, as you say, right, it's the carrier particle for the electromagnetic force. And we get photons released from stars. You know, we're, we're, we've got them all around us all the time. And mm -hmm. there are properties of the photon, as you say, you know, it, it doesn't have mass, but it can impart momentum. It moves at the speed of light. Like it does all these things. And and so back to that, that just that term, because, you know, there are other carrier particles for other parts of the of the standard model of particle physics. And when we hear about, say, a gluon, mm -hmm. you know, we don't think, oh, gluons are just photons, but they're just so is giving it even just that name dark photon already starting to kind of put into people's minds certain properties for it that are you know, are already sort of poisoning the well a bit? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. So the um, by giving it that name, it certainly gives us a preconceived notion of what it might be doing in the dark sector that um, is not necessarily anything like, it's not necessarily anything like what we um, know that standard model force carriers can do. So um, you could, and in fact, it's, it's, been proposed just about every particle or into like force carrier and other particles that exist in the standard model, people have proposed dark matter versions for pretty much all of them. Um, and there's no like guarantee or like it's, it's no more likely that those are analogous at all um, than that they're completely different and unlike anything we've imagined before. So yeah. It's, it's a good point. There might be some kind of inherent bias in the way we're thinking about mm -hmm. these things. And I, like I say that as somebody who is like on the front lines of answering people's questions about dark matter, dark energy, all of, you know, these cosmological issues. And, you know, I'll do a video about dark matter. And people say, oh, you know, you astronomers have just made up this dark matter. Just It's a fudge. They don't get it. They don't whatever. Right. You know, tell me you haven't learned the science without telling me you haven't learned the science. Um, and and it's like when you get down to the bottom of it, they don't like the words. That the <laughs> word that someone gave 100 years ago for that they measure the rotation curve of galaxies and said, whoa, that's really weird. You know, these galaxies should be falling apart. There must be some kind of dark matter, some matter we can't see that is holding this thing together. It is dark and it is matter. And But obviously today it could be you know, it could be gravity working in a way that we don't understand. It could be all kinds of things. It might not be dark. It might not be matter. And yet we're, you know, we're stuck with this name, this word, these, this collection of words. And and so I'm, I'm already preparing for the comments from people kind of going, well, like, you know, so is it like, is it like light, but it's dark? Like, what does that mean? So um, anyway, so I, you know, I don't want to go too far, but I, you know, I think I need to stick a flag in right now and say, we got to come up with a better name 
until before this goes <laughs> before this gets too far. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then, so let's instead let's consider the property. So if there is a a particle that is associated with dark matter as we conceptualize it, what properties is it thought that this particle would have? Mm. Well. If we're talking about the the dark photon, then mm-hmm. um, obviously it we, we think of it in the same way as, as a photon. Again, it's got that mass that makes it a little different, but there's there's plenty of other possibilities. Like in, in any mass range from like the, the the small particles that we're talking about here to like even black holes, it's all been theorized, um, and they're all um, we're, we're slowly whittling away at the possibilities. Um, for what it for what it could be, um, but it really is an open question. We can't nail down those properties yet. Um, well, I was more talking about the about the photons, not the like, you know. Obviously, if it's black, if dark matter is black holes, then then this won't come up, right? And if dark mm-hmm. matter is actually mond, and there's no yeah. particle involved at all, then you don't need that either. Like maybe, um, probably <laughs> not. But if it is some kind of particle. If dark matter is a particle that is, you know, whatever is massive, but weakly interacting, but what is the, I guess, you know, this dark photon part, you know, component, what are the properties of that? One important aspect is um, the, the fact that it's able to kinetically mix with the standard model photon. Um, that's an important property of it. So um, I, I guess I, I could start talking about the um, the work that we did mm-hmm. um, yeah. in actually looking for this, this dark photon because that plays into trying to nail down its exact properties. Um, so what, what we did in, in um, our most recent analysis that was published recently um, was to... Uh, to perform what's called a global analysis, um, which means that you take all the best theoretical predictions of um, that we have and compare them with uh, experimental results in order to see how well we can describe that data. In this case, the experimental results are particle scattering experiments. Um, so uh, we take as much data as we can um, and try to describe all of it at once. Um, the most relevant um, kind of experiment that uh, we looked at was is called deep inelastic scattering. Um, so what happens is you basically have a proton and you fire a bunch of electrons at it. And um, you, you can kind of think of the proton as this, this messy soup of um, quarks and gluons. You might have heard that it's... Um, it's like taught that it's two up quarks and a down quark, but really it's this, um, it's got particles popping in and out of existence all the time. It's a lot more messy than that. And actually understanding that structure is a massive task in and of itself. It's um, what I've spent a lot of my work (laughs) working on. Um, But uh, the important point for deep and elastic scattering is that as the electron comes in, it's, it usually exchanges a photon with a quark that's inside the proton. Um, And uh, why is that relevant for dark photons? Well, because of this kinetic mixing, if you have a photon being exchanged, then 
it uh, makes sense that a dark photon could also be exchanged in that interaction. Um, and if you do allow for a possibility like that, um, then that changes the, uh, modifies the underlying theory for that experiment. You, it introduces additional couplings between the elect incoming electron, the dark photon, and the uh, quark inside the proton. Um, and so basically what we did was allow this um, dark photon to, like the modifications from the dark photon to have an effect, um, perform this global analysis both with and without the dark photon and then see how well we describe the data. And um, the surprising and quite exciting result is that um, we found an actual improvement when we include the dark photon. Um, so the improvement is actually to such an extent that um, statistically it corresponds to 6.5 sigma, which um, that's good. It's 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 very big in, in just for context in particle physics. Five sigma is usually the threshold for a discovery. Um, so 6.5 is even better than that. Um, and uh, obviously. I wouldn't be a good scientist if I didn't point out that some limitations. So um, obviously we're not saying that, um, oh, we've found the dark photon, this is it, 100% nailed down, not at all. Um, it's, for, it's more just a kind of initial hint um, of a potential discovery. Um, it's possible, like there's alternative possibilities, there could be something else missing from the theory that we're not accounting for that isn't a dark photon, um, uh, but is mimicking the dark photon's behavior. That would still be really exciting because it would mean that there's some kind of physics beyond the standard model that we don't currently understand, but it would mean it's not the dark photon, potentially. Um, uh, another small issue is that um, the mixing parameter, which kind of describes how often the photon and the dark photon mix, um, for us, for our experiment, was well, our results was quite high. Um, it's actually been ruled out in a large region um, by other experiments, um, except in these little um, gaps around certain other particles that are very hard to kind of measure around. So specifically, it's the, the JSI particle and its excited states. Um, there's a lot of uh, like trying to perform measurements around those those particles is very difficult. So you can't rule out those regions. And it just so happens that um, our dark photon could fall in one of those regions. It would be a coincidence, but um, that, that is one possibility. So so I, I, so I have a couple of questions just before we, before we move on. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if dark matter is some kind of, of particle, I guess, what does that have to do with a regular proton that you're interacting with, with a regular electron? Where is the dark matter coming into the picture? Is it, is it there? And there's 10 of them because there's 10 times <laughs> as much as regular matter just hovering around the proton itself. Hmm. Well, it's, um, without getting into the, the deep quantum field theory mathematics of it, it's, um, uh, it's actually, if the, dark photon exists, then um, because they're, they're both U1 charged bosons, that's the, that's the terminology that you use, um, 
it's actually required that the dark photon and the photon would mix um, if it were to exist. Um, that's kind of the, it's, it's a requirement. It's not just uh, where, where, where might it come in? Like um, if it exists, then it must, um, it must interact in this way, um, which is why uh, when, we, when we started out on this work, we fully expected that we'd be ruling, ruling out the dark photon, not discovering it potentially, um, because it should be there. We should find it. But I guess I'm sort of kind of, again, maybe this is, you know, misunderstanding this, but, but, you know, is the dark photon accounting for all of the gravitational effect that you're getting from ah, dark matter? Or I is see. there like some of it is dark matter and some of it is dark photons and you can tell that the dark matter exists by the presence of the dark photons. That's what I'm asking. Right. Okay. So yeah, absolutely. The dark photon cannot be the be all and end all for dark matter. It's not, it can't be a dark matter candidate by itself. Um, the reason for that is that, um, and you might be more familiar with this than me, but in the cosmic microwave background, we should see its effects, it, uh, the dark photons effects if, it existed um, in the cosmic, cosmic microwave background because of all of the electrons and other leptons that are produced by it. Um, so if it was all dark photons, um, that would actually put a restriction on the mixing parameter. So we, we have a mixing parameter of 0.1. It would need to be 10 to the, like, eight orders of magnitude lower. Um, so that kind of rules out that possibility. The real point of the dark photon is that it opens up the possibility with, of, of exploring other dark matter candidates. Um, so it may be that we, the only way that we can access dark matter is through the dark photon and its interactions. Um, and uh, if that was so, then obviously the dark photon is essential to having any understanding of, of what um, form dark matter might take. Um, but yeah, by itself, it's not, it's not gonna right. do the whole work and solve the whole mystery. And and then my my second question, and this is, I mean, this is like, you know, I'm definitely not a particle physicist here, but, you know, we know that neutrinos change flavor. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is one of the great discoveries, Nobel Prizes, everyone. Um, but, and so you talked about how, you know, you're getting photons and if the photons are mixing with the dark photons, like, is this interaction happening with every single photon that is being Really, you know, every time you shoot an electron at a at a proton, are you always getting this sort of con combination of photons and dark photons, or is it um, sometimes? It's sometimes. So it's only at certain energy scales and under certain conditions. Um, the The mass of the of the dark photon also plays a role. So um, I mentioned the mixing parameter earlier. The mass is another free parameter in the, um, in the dark photon model. Um, and under those restrictions, it will only play a role in certain, um, uh, certain experiments and certain interactions, like um, probably in like every, everyday interactions when, when you like turn a light on, there's probably not dark photons going around. Right. Um, but um, in, but, but, the idea is that you could or you, you should be able to produce these dark photons in these high energy scattering experiments um, that uh, are conducted um, 
have been conducted and continue to be conducted. Um, and the hope would be that um, perhaps there could be dedicated searches in these mass regions where it's really hard to detect um, and rule out the dark photon. Um, if a dedicated search looked there in the kind of mass range that we're talking about, which is about three and a half GeV, um, then that would give us more clues into um, exactly what form the dark, the dark photon might take. So it, it it's kind of like I'm sort of imagining like you get Higgs bosons in the Large Hadron Collider. You don't get Higgs bosons <clears> while you're walking around. You get them when you concentrate energy exactly. in a small yeah. enough place. So maybe you get Higgs boson in the Large Hadron Collider and in supernovae and <clears> in <throat> accretion disks around yeah. supermassive black holes. Oh, who knows, right? Like in the most energetic places where you get these exactly. natural particle accelerators, that's where you can start to see this kind of effect. And so... If that's the case, I mean, you're sort of looking at it in a particle accelerator, but do you think that there is an astronomical equivalent where this effect would be, you know, detectable by astronomers? Well, that's that's one I wouldn't be as able to answer just because um, I'm not as solid on the astrophysics. But um, the from my understanding, um, and at, at astronomical scales in the in the in the regions of these like as you said supermassive black holes and um, even like stars um, potentially they there could be enough energy and there could be the right conditions to produce dark photons. Um, one I know that um, one other candidate for dark matter solar axions well axions there, there's there's an idea that they might be produced by the sun. I think. The dark photon could also play a role in, in that interaction. Um, that might be something that's possible to look at, but again, I, I, it would be speculation on my part to right. say, absolutely, it's you could find it here. Yep, we'll find an astronomer to talk about that. Um, and so, you know, back to this idea that you, that there was, I don't know if an anomaly is the right way to describe it, but just like when you're looking at this interaction between the proton and the electrons, you know, the standard model of physics isn't nicely, perfectly explaining what you're seeing in your particle detectors. Is this a common thing? Like, <laughs> is a lot of the time, because I sort of in my mind, I imagine that you are, you know, like say in the Large Hadron Collider, you are colliding particles together and you're slowly building up the data and you're trying to find this statistical signal and you finally got it and you've, you know, the muon G minus two measurement mm -hmm. comes in and it's, you know, finally after 17 years or whatever, you've finally got enough statistical sigma to, to come to this answer. Is this common that you just get this sort of anomaly that can't be explained as you smash particles together? Um, not at all. <laughs> the, the standard model is very effective and has consistently kind of proven us, um, uh, proven us wrong in, in trying to go beyond it. Um, I, I can point to something like supersymmetry, which um, has been uh, around for a long time and has been favoured by a lot of physicists, and we still haven't seen any evidence for it, despite um, looking as hard as we can. It's, it's absolutely not every day that you find anomalies like this, um, and it's, I guess, why there's a bit of excitement around this, this particular result. Um, uh, 
certainly when I when I set out and, and started on this work, um, I was thinking, great, we're going to just put some nice exclusion limits on the, on the dark photon and um, just rule out a bit more of parameter space, just like everyone else is doing, and um, and call it a day because that's what everyone is, that's all anyone expects at the moment. Um, so absolutely, it's it's not it's not every day that this kind of thing happens, um, and uh, but I guess that's that's kind of what the dark matter search is like at the moment. Everyone's just looking everywhere, um, and eventually someone's just going to stumble across something. Um, uh, it might be it might be us. It might not. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But um, certainly, this is an exciting first hint that that doesn't happen every day. We're at an interesting crossroads in particle physics because of how well the standard model is has been sort of filled in all of the pieces, you know, the last block was finally answered with the <laughs> Large Hadron Collider and the and the Higgs. And what comes next, do you think? <laughs> you know, where are the cracks that you can try to open up and try to get a better sense of what's going on? Well, so you, you did mention the the, the muon G minus two experiment. That's that's one um, which I, I should touch on because it's something that we're we're able to resolve powerfully as well. Um, which is um, uh, so that the the muon, which is you can kind of think of as a as a heavy electron, um, uh, it has a magnetic moment as all um, particles do, um, and the magnetic moment kind of defines. Uh, the strength of its of its magnetism, inherent magnetism, um, and uh, experiments in in recent times have shown that the um, the standard model prediction is actually different for the muon magnetic moment um, by at, at the moment I think it's sitting at four point two sigma um, from what the experiments actually suggest, um, and uh, so that that's an example of of an anomaly in um, in particle physics at the moment, um, and it's also something that our, our dark matter, uh, our dark photon, could potentially resolve if it were to exist. It sits in a, a parameter range, which means that it would reduce that um, that anomaly from 4.2 sigma to like I think 1.5. So that's a lot more reasonable. That's well within the, the realm of just being a statistical fluctuation. Um, uh, so that, that's one example. Um, uh, beyond that, there's, there's, all, there's, there's small anomalies here and there, but it's, it's really not, um, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a huge amount that, that, we, that we can search for. Um, and certainly whenever any new anomaly comes up, like the muon G minus two, um, there's a huge concerted effort by the physics community to jump on it and see um, what, what possibilities can come of it. And further experiments around the world have been designed based on that result to try and nail down what the, um, uh, nail down that result as, as best as we can. Um, so in short, yeah, not common to have too many anomalies. And when they do come up, everyone gets very excited and goes straight towards it. <laughs> so, so how do we progress? I mean, it's, it's very strange to have a scientific theory that is so complete 
And yet there are giant gaps. Like how do you make gravity work with that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so there are big mysteries that are also, but they're light years apart from this. And so you've got something that's complete and yet doesn't answer all of our questions. How do we proceed? How do, how should particle physicists proceed at this point? Do you think? Well, I guess we have to follow the, the structure of science that, um, we, we generally do. We, we look for these anomalies um, in every corner that we can find them. Um, and when we do uh, observe them, we come up with as many possibilities as we can to try and um, nail down um, what, what it could be. Um, in the dark matter space, that's been very tricky because there's so many theories on what, what it could be um, that um, it feels like every time you exclude one option, another another one pops up, and there's always there's always right. something you can do to your underlying theory that can account for the latest observation. Um, no matter how much you squeeze the parameter space, you can always say, "Oh, well, we haven't found it yet. It's in this area." Um, so it's um, it's it's difficult. Uh, there's any progress that you make um, is uh, it's very much just dependent on continuing to, to look for these things. Um, but, but we, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, do you, I mean, I guess, is the strategy to generate more anomalies? I mean, is there, is there a way that we could manufacture more anomalies, force anomalies to reveal themselves as opposed to trying to, I don't know, further, clarify theories as we already understand them like i, I just like i wonder well, i mean is this a is this a i'll give you a sort of in the astronomical community they've got this this what they call you know the christ in cosmology the hubble tension right that that measurements for different sizes of the universe have got got differing enough amounts that there's something going on here and it mm has -hmm. made the field very exciting you talk to astronomers and they're thrilled that they're finding cracks in their existing, you know, the standard model of cosmology. Mm. And and it gives a ton of avenues to start exploring, you know, measuring the amounts of dark matter, dark energy, different times of the, the universe and, and trying to refine their estimates and come up with new methods for developing distance. And I just, I, like, like, how do the particle physicists proceed in a way that, that shakes everything up again. It's it's often just a matter of more energy. <laughs> um, so, uh, looking at the LHC, for example, the the, the whole goal there was to um, reach this pinnacle of the Higgs boson and having enough energy to discover that at seven TeV or whatever it was. Um, and now that we've got there, it's kind of like, okay, well. Now that, now that we've discovered that, we're just looking for um, greater precision and waiting for the next anomaly, I guess. Um, and in doing that, you like we got to 7 TeV. Um, what we're doing now at the LHC is the high luminosity era, is, is what it's called, um, which will be up, running, up and running pretty soon, um, where you... Um, Increase the energy further, increase the precision of the detective detection instruments, and um, continue to look for those 
potentially smaller signals um, that could be evidence for beyond the standard model physics. Um, and in terms of manufacturing new, new anomalies, that's what it looks like. You just have to um, keep looking in areas that you haven't looked yet. You can always have more energy. Um, and you never know what, um, what new physics you might find in that process. Um, but I guess you don't know until you try. Um, right. But I mean, is that just turn the dial up to 11 and smash the particles together and see what happens? Obviously, um, theorists can make predictions on like, um, at this energy scale for, for the LHC, um, we will expect um, to rule out this theory, this theory, and this theory. Um, and each new theory will have some beyond the standard model physics in it. Um, and uh, so we are essentially re either reconfirming the standard model at an, a higher energy scale or discovering something new. So. There is still a theory to be explored, um, and there's always some new possibility. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 basically how it proceeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, could there be like again, sort of in in astronomy, right? You can either come up with a like a fairly general telescope, like a space telescope, that will let you see and various wavelengths, or you can design a very specific instrument designed to answer a very specific question, like mm -hmm. Gaia, things like that, where you're trying to just measure the, the movements of stars and, and, and nothing else. Could, are, are there like specialized experiments in particle yes. physics that, that would sort of really home in on one specific yeah. issue, do you think? Yeah. So there's, um, uh, for example, LHC is um, a bit more general because the protons, right, they're such a, a, a mess of, of crap that you throw them together and anything, a lot of things can come out. That's maybe you would think of that as more of a general experiment. Um, a new experiment that's coming up pretty soon at, at Jefferson Lab is the um, electron-ion collider, um, which is much more specialised and is um, targeted at proton structure um, because you, you, you have a, a proton, it's, it's kind of like deep and elastic scattering. Um, uh, you have that incoming um, electron instead of an, another incoming proton, which would add a whole level of complexity. So that's more specialized for answering a specific question, which is ex exactly what is the proton made of. Um, there's obviously plenty of other experiments around the world um, that look at like... Uh, interact specific particles with one another um, to focus on specific processes. Um, so yeah, there are levels of generalizability, I guess, um, of experiments. And some are literally like um, the muon G minus two experiment designed to explore one measurement. Um, uh, similarly, there's dark matter searches which are looking for one um, particular particle in one region. Um, so if anything, I would say they tend to be more specialized. Um, 
then like there's there's not really like an equivalent of like the Hubble Space Telescope where it's just like let's look at everything. <laughs> yeah. And and so do you think that it's more productive to create the superconducting super collider, you know, the mega version of the LHC, but it is a generic tool that you can throw any particles that you can generate into the that are that are willing to be turned by a magnetic field, you know, that you can throw <laughs> down this these pipelines or do you think that the the anomalies will be found and explored on more you know if you had the budget would you go the let's just make something that that drives more energy and see what happens or let's try to build experiments to try to disprove specific hypotheses hmm. um well in in my opinion i quite like the idea of um exploring as much as possible <laughs> um, because the more you explore, the more likely you are to find those, um, those exciting new anomalies. Um, and, but that's very much a, a, a personal preference. I feel like um, if you've been working your whole life on you on G minus two um, and you've, you, you, uh, that's that's been your field for the last thirty years. I can guarantee you they that you wouldn't care if um, someone uh, made an, an experiment that did a hundred other things that aren't your one niche. Um, so I think each each physicist would probably say, "I want whatever experiment looks at the thing that I'm looking at with the highest possible energy." Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but at least for <laughs> like. My, from my perspective, I'd be interested to see as much as, as we could. Yeah. Do you do you think a like trying to unite quantum mechanics and gravity is important? Mm -hmm. Does it matter? Does it, does it matter? Mm -hmm. um, I think like, like quantum mechanics beautifully explains the regime that it does. Gravity beautifully explains the regime that it does. And I think a lot of people feel like there's just got to be some formula that I can put on a t-shirt and, mm. and Einstein would be glad to know that it finally came together because he spent his, you know, his final days working on this. <laughs> would it have an impact on our lives? Do you think? Um, well, as a, uh, this will betray my, my undergraduate philosophy degree, but um, I, I think there's a lot of value in um, having that knowledge for its own sake. Um, I think that knowing what happened, because obviously if we understood, if we are able to unite uh, gravity and, um, and quantum mechanics, then that would enable us to understand even further back in time towards the beginning of the, of the Big Bang. Um, and uh, who knows what we might find, but even if we found nothing that had any practical applications whatsoever, um, just knowing what happened in those first, like, trillions of a second, probably even smaller than that, let's be honest, um, would be valuable in and of itself, I, I would believe. Um, and I think the fact that we're potentially able to understand our universe to such a degree would be um, a massive accomplishment. Um, not 
for science, but like for humanity as a whole, um, to, 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 to know how things behave at that kind of, of level. Um, whether that takes the form of a, a pretty equation you can put on a T-shirt, I'm not sure. But um, If it did, would you wear the T-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, absolutely, I would. <laughs> okay. Uh, and Nick, what are you obsessed with right now? Um, well, personally, I really like working on the proton structure because it, it, um, it really... Uh, it's very strange to me that everything that we look at, um, all the atoms in the universe have at its core a proton and that proton is made up of a giant mess that really can't be condensed into any simple um, any simple form. Uh, there's what, 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 I, what I work on and what I'm obsessed on at the moment is... Um, parton distribution functions, which describe at what energy and with what probability you'll get a particular quark or a gluon um, or some, some other thing that lives in the proton. Um, and that kind of defines um, what the proton looks like. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. You can't just say two ups and a down quark. It's at this energy, with this probability, you'll get this particle some of the time. <laughs> um, and nailing that down to a high level of precision is something that um, I'm, I'm very excited by and, and um, want to explore as much as I can. Yeah. Do you, do you think that gives us any insight into whether protons decay? Um, possibly. Uh, I'm just happy to try and nail down exactly what it's, what it's made of before looking at what could happen after it's um, after it potentially decays. Um, obviously, it's an interesting question, though, but, um, yeah, well, that's I, something I'm working on right now. I mean, yeah. that would be a Nobel Prize. Just saying. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Nick, absolute pleasure uh, talking to you, and thank you so much for explaining this to me. I think I get most of it. Um, but good luck in, in nailing this down and other people being able to finally confirm the existence of dark matter that would be terrific and uh, i'll let you know if i think of a better name than dark photon to just yeah, save us all do. some arguments on the internet all right <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot Fraser. thank you i hope you enjoyed this interview with nicholas hunt smith now i want to talk about dark matter and how we are living through the exploration into this and other mysteries but first, I'd like to thank our patrons. Thanks to David Richards, Mark Anstis, Joel Yancey, Antonio Lofilara, Dustin Cable, Just Paul Davis, Vlad Shiplin, Jay Dennis, David Giltonad, Modso, George, Jeremy Mattern, Jordan Young, Tim Whelan, Dave Verbioff, Andrew Gross, and Josh Schultz who support us at the Master of the Universe level, and all of our other supporters on Patreon. For a lot of the science that we're aware of, gravity, how do stars work? How do the tides work? Like there are all of these answers that we have here now in 2023 as the result of hundreds, if not thousands of years of scientific inquiry. And you get to stand on the shoulders of all of those giants who came before us and know the answer. But yet for each one of those people during that era, they had to 
live in this world of uncertainty where they didn't know what the result was going to be. And they had to go down all of these blind alleys one after the other and explore and disprove the hypotheses and come back and try again. And sometimes people would spend their entire lives, their entire careers trying to come up with an answer and they never did. And it had to be the next generation that actually finally made progress. And so you are living through a bunch of these mysteries right now. What is dark matter? What is dark energy? Why is there more matter than antimatter in the universe? Where did the universe come from? Where did life come from? Like all of these, why do we dream? All of these questions. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of scientists that are attempting to solve these problems. Nature doesn't owe us anything. And it will reveal its secrets to us one at a time if we are able to be clever enough and hardworking enough and disciplined enough. And so if you feel like you're frustrated that some of these things aren't unfolding, be patient. This stuff takes time. There's no reason why it should take a set amount of time. It could take a thousand years or we might learn about it tomorrow. Now, if you're interested in dark matter and some other theories for what dark matter might be, I've done two videos about how dark matter might be axions. So I've got one interview with Dr. Keir Rogers thinking about how uh, dark matter might be axions. And then another interview with Dr. Amruth Alfred, where again, that dark matter could be made of axions and sort of two separate ways to observe if dark matter is actually axions, how we could see that in the universe. So enjoy those two interviews, which will sort of help take you along this journey in trying to figure out what dark matter is, or at least what it isn't. All right. Thanks for watching.